A very warm welcome to Fly to Freedom, an eating disorder recovery podcast that aims to give hope and inspiration to others trapped in the dark prison of an eating disorder. To reach out and take steps to recover and fly to freedom and peace. I'm Julia Trahane, your host, an eating disorder recovery coach who is now living in freedom after 40 years of anorexia, orthorexia and exercise addiction. My mission is to give love and support to anyone who feels ready to start their recovery journey. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm very grateful to you for being here. Please like, follow and rate it to enable me to reach others who need help. Right, let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of Fly to Freedom. And I am super, super excited that I have a friend, Rachel, coming on to talk to us today. Rachel is a trauma-informed practitioner and trainer who uses the modalities of movement, yoga, sound, touch, and talking as a means to support people to navigate the modern world more effectively. Her sessions are an invitation to turn up however you are. Whatever the headspace, there's space here for you. A space to connect and support the discovery of what community and good mental and physical health looks like for an individual. Through a variety of well-being sessions, she is able to support people to journey inward and reclaim the power they have within themselves. Her sessions aim to create safe platforms to change and empower people to gain their own agency. Rachel, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Julia. It's so lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, honestly, I'm so, so grateful to you for being here. You have so much wisdom and I think listeners <laughs> are going to just love this and gain so much. But first of all, I have some quick fire questions. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is your favourite season of the year and why? Summer. <laughs> Summer. You don't want to think about that for a second. I didn't think about that for a second. Summer is my favourite season of the year, I think, because I love heat. I really don't like being cold. Um, it tenses my body. And in summer, I always describe myself as like a little lounge lizard where ideally I just crawl out into the sunshine and warm my bones up. So yes, summer for me, 100%. <laughs> um, what's your favourite food? Gosh, that, it's always a difficult one. It, food, food, is a, food is a difficult one for me. I think I've had a, a mixed relationship with food. So I don't know whether I'm like somebody who has necessarily favourite foods. I think, yeah, I mean, I love, I eat very healthily, you know. I love good food. I think that I love good food. You know, you wouldn't find me really enjoying sort of things dripping in fat and stuff like that. Like I love things that are very flavoursome, you know, like lots of different foods put together. Really, yeah, light and don't know. I, I love making salads and just throwing loads of stuff in it, you know, like having like walnuts and orange salad, stuff like that. Experimental food. I like good experimental food that I know is clean. Does that make sense? It does. Um, if, I, if I was to choose a 
I, I mean, I love I, I love Indian. I, I love Indian food. I mean, I've spent quite a lot of time in India. I love Indian food. If I was thinking about, you know, a, a region of food that I like, um, yeah, I'm I'm in a bit of a transitional period with my food actually because I've been a vegan for a really long time, and I've just started introducing some eggs into the mix. But I might yeah. talk about that a little bit later, actually. Just, yeah. In fact, I will. I'm going to save that. <laughs> I'm, I don't think I could tell you my favourite food. No, it's um, weird, isn't it? But I can tell you my favourite texture of food is crunchy. Well, it has to be crunchy peanut butter. I love crunchy food. I'm yeah. like, so If I have a meal that's totally soft food... I feel like I have to have something crunchy afterwards to just get that satisfaction of a crunch. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, okay. What is the kindest thing you have ever done for yourself? Oh, so I was thinking, thinking, and then this thing just popped, just fell into my mind. And it is to believe enough in myself to change yes I love that me too and it just literally dropped in Julia like I was thinking about something specific and yeah. then I just thought no actually you no. know believing enough in myself to do what was required to change my life that was I, the kindest thing I mm. resonate with that so much yeah um do you have a day in your life that was so memorable and so wonderful that you would love to relive it? <laughs> I am incredibly fortunate that I have so many days that are just beautiful. And funnily enough, you know, one of the things that popped up was my sister's wedding, actually. My sister's wedding was absolutely beautiful. However, you know, as certain relationships grow, certain relationships don't, and they are currently not together anymore. But both of us say, regardless of the outcome, it was a really amazing day. And I think it was amazing because we were all together and it was beautiful and a lot of effort had been put in. And it was really at that time, a real celebration of love and our families coming together. And I think... I think days that I really remember are days that are sort of heavily um, built up on connection with people. Nice, really nice. I love that. Doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I mean, I, I said, you know, being in the van with my partner, like just driving to the middle of nowhere are like days that I treasure, you know? Like it can be really small things but as long as there is a connection of souls then I'm in <laughs> I'm in for it <laughs> so I don't know if I can say one day in particular but there's lots of days there's lots of days I'm lucky I'm lucky okay, and last of the quick fire questions I'm gonna limit your words now okay can you describe yourself in three words Resilient and determined are definitely two. The third one, there's many words, but uh, I'm going to say kind, but that feels a bit crap. But kind, I think I am kind. Resilient, yeah. determined and kind. 
Amazing. Okay, try, try to be kind. <laughs> thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, so that the listeners can just get to know you a bit, yes. can you share a bit about yourself and your story and why you do what you do? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I think I said to you before we started recording, you know, I've spoken about my story numerous times but only recently I think I think previous to sort of 2020 I think my story was reserved for people who identified with my story and I think that was certainly done deliberately by me through a fear of judgment or a fear of being misunderstood and it felt safe to share my story with people who identified with the same story so you know, I'm in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, um, which puts that what I'm saying into context, I think. Um, I think there are still some big taboos around who are addicts and what and, 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 and the reasons for being addicts and stuff like that. And I think I feared sharing that stuff. And then, I don't know, 2020, I got opportunities to share some bits and pieces and I ended up sharing my story. And I think because of that, it doesn't necessarily feel um, appropriate always to go into the where's and how for's. But basically, I am in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction alongside um, yeah, eating disorders as well. Uh, for I've been in recovery now for it'd be about 16, 16 years, I think it was this year in June, drink and drug free. Um, I would say less. so much for that. That is such a long time and amazing, amazing achievement. Yeah, it is a long time, a day at a time. And I think those that, you know, maybe resonate with that past, you know, will understand what I mean when I say that, you know, it's, it's not just a given that you find recovery and you stay in recovery. I mean, unfortunately, like I've been privy to many people's relapses, many people's deaths, many people's poor mental health. And for me, you know, my recovery is not about drinking drugs anymore. It's um, it's about the managing of my mental well-being, the management of my emotional well-being, because the lack of awareness of those two things lead me to behaving in ways that are really unhelpful for my body my mind my spirit right mm-hmm. and when I'm aware of people relapsing you can really see often before they can you know that things are maybe going down an unhelpful road so yeah I I feel incredibly grateful to have sort of 16 years but it's not been without its effort <laughs> You know, it, 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 it's an effort, right? But it's a, a a worthwhile one. It's an absolutely worthwhile one. Yeah, yeah. Change. My life is good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I came into recovery, like I say, 16 years ago. I then trained to be a therapist working in drug and alcohol services. And with dual diagnosis, and I worked in mental health services for 10 years. And then sort of towards, I lost my mum. So, yeah, I was about two years clean and I lost my mum. And I'd sort of been 
thrown into a yoga class by a friend of mine who was also in recovery, who noticed that maybe I was running myself a little bit ragged, possibly. You know, early recovery is a really tough time. Um, and you're sort of thrown into sort of lots of service, doing things for others, you know, get out of yourself. This is the sort of message that is given to you in early recovery. And ironically for me, where my recovery really started was when I got into myself, <laughs> not out of myself. I you know, I think, I'd, I think I'd been getting out of myself actually for a really long time. And, uh, and recovery for me was actually about getting in and not distracting myself by helping everybody else, uh, but actually going more inward. Um, but that sort of started, you know, when my mum died and I was introduced to yoga because um, I'd been I'd been doing all the aerobics because I, you know, I, I got into recovery from drinking drugs and then went straight into um, therapy at two months clean for eating disorders. Um, and it was sort of deemed as not a good time for me to address those issues. And I really pushed the point because I knew that if I didn't sort out that as well, it would be a surefire quick route back to using drugs. Yeah. Without a doubt for me, you know, um, you know, body dysmorphia, all of those sort of things. You know, I know a very quick way to lose lots and lots of weight. You know, that's how my mind was back then. So I, you know, I was listened to, thankfully, and um, yeah, you know, started treatment for all of that. So I was in that and I was exercising ridiculously hard, running around like a lunatic. Um, yeah, just not, just out of myself, disassociated, like completely traumatised, you know, and uh my friend, like I say, introduced me to a yoga class and uh, we lay down at the end. The, the lady that was teaching the class like invite, invited us to lie down at the end. And uh, you know, I remember just thinking, I need this. I need this. I don't think at that point anybody had ever given me permission to lie down. My life had been just running, just literally running and mentally running survival mode just so overwhelmed um and this just yeah this invitation just to lie down was very strange for me but I thought I, this is good and uh and so then when I lost my mom I, I I went back to that and I started doing yoga with all different types of people different places and just used that practice to I suppose um navigate grief you know yeah. navigate grief uh and and I had such a profound experience with that sort of exploration or, or uh, with me and this 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 yoga mat this you know like what was this that was happening for me that I decided to do teacher training and I don't know whether I thought I would teach but I think my idea was to be able to offer something, this thing that I found so beneficial to people who wouldn't ordinarily find themselves on a yoga mat. That was the first 
that was the first sort of thing of how do I make this accessible? Because in all honesty, me and my mate, we just used to get Groupons. Don't think yeah. people knew Groupons so much anymore, do they? I don't I know. Don't. If they, maybe they do. But back then it was really like we loved it. We loved a Groupon. And you could get all these yoga classes for cheap for 50% off. And so me and her just, we went to all sorts of different teachers doing different things in different places, wherever the Groupon ticket took us, basically, because we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford to pay, you know, for a membership or anything like that. And so I really thought, OK, how do I make this? How do I make this accessible for people who may not, you know, be able to access this stuff? And so. Yeah, I was working in mental health services. I started developing pilot schemes with yoga and mindfulness for my clients. And it became very obvious very, very quickly that those that were doing talking therapy with me alongside movement, yoga, mindfulness, breath work, were having significant change, um, more so than just one or the other. So I started to sort of observe my client group and sort of looking at, you know, this this holistic approach to health and uh, and started getting really into um, yeah trauma-informed practices um, looking at the body keeps the score the subtle body the cellular body you know the parasympathetic nervous the nervous system the polyvagal theory all of these things that started to make so much sense for me in my life as well and why you know, I had been so disassociated from this really hostile place, my body, right? And how was I going to get back to that? And although nobody really told me that that's what I was doing, when I was on my mat and when I was moving and when I was breathing, that was what I was actually doing. And so I started to train uh, to be more informed in the sort of the science <laughs> of why these things work for people and then I developed um the, I left working in mental health services five years ago and developed the project create your community which is a project that supports people into well-being uh who may find you know difficulty in accessing stuff right there's many reasons why people find it challenging to access things um and that's where I've been sort of with the project. It's obviously taken quite a lot of my time up, but my, the other side of it is kind of consultancy and sort of community-led businesses. Um, also like the training of teachers and practitioners in trauma-sensitive practice. Um, and working, like you said at the beginning, with the modalities of like sound and touch and movement and talk to really give a holistic approach to people's well-being so yeah it's been quite a <laughs> quite a journey and still a work in progress right you know I, I, I think this idea that you know we we we're broken or we need fixing is old it's such an archaic view of sort of poor mental health it's like you know, we have poor mental health, but it doesn't mean we are fundamentally bad or fundamentally broken. It's just how we're navigating our emotions at that given time. And I think we live in a world, don't we, that absolutely 
supports poor mental health. Yes. yes. Doesn't it? Yes. So we're working against it. We're working against it so much. So, yeah, I always say to ev- anybody, myself included in this, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling, you know, low in mood, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling depressed, and if you're feeling uncertain or what's the point, you know, welcome. Because actually this is the kind of world that we live in. There's nothing wrong with you. There's so much wrong with the outer world. And how do we navigate that more effectively so that people don't feel there's something wrong with them because they feel like they're struggling with a world that is increasingly uh, challenging, isn't it? It is challenging. It is pressured. And I think we all fear judgment so much. And there's so many societal standards that are set for how we quote should be how we should show up in the world what image we should give out to others and I think certainly in an eating disorder that is one of the things that perpetuates the fear of weight gain hugely and I know when I was in um, my eating disorder I was so not in my body at all. I was terrified of my body. And I just, I didn't feel any of my emotions. And I just lived in my head the whole time. And that wasn't a very nice place to be anyway. It was just a place of fear and anxiety. And it's only since my recovery that I've started connecting into my body. So why would you say it is so important that we connect with our bodies, that we become embodied? You just sort of, you you touched on it a little bit there, like we are missing such a huge part of how we navigate the world if we are just in our minds. Because we are neither one thing or the other, we're we're all things, right? So we can't just function from a level of intellect and completely ignore from the neck down. Which is what I did. Which is what we do, which is what so many people do. You know, the reason we disassociate, and obviously, you know, there are varying degrees of disassociation, right? Um, The main one, well, the main reason why anyone disassociates is because it is a coping mechanism to stress. Yes. It is, if we think about it, if we think about our our bodies, you know, are incredibly skilled at, you know, harmonizing, self-regulating, getting to a place of homeostasis. It's like, it's always doing all these things that are completely we don't even think it's beyond thought it's just happening it's just happening all the time our hormones are going up and down and round and round and we're just doing we're walking around with all this stuff going on for us and very little awareness that any of these things are really happening yeah what the body does when we are really stressed out and overwhelmed is it shuts down certain parts so that we can survive, right? And so it's a safety mechanism. It's something to keep us safe. 
But what happens is through that safety, we build poor habits of coping with stress. So for a prime example, the ability to self-regulate is compromised if we're continually releasing cortisol, the stress hormone, because we're constantly stressed or overwhelmed. So what happens is it's almost, if we think of it in terms of like the body is overworked, you know, it continually, it continually releasing cortisol, it finds it incredibly difficult then to naturally come back down to this place of equilibrium and this place of calm, this regulated space, because you're just constantly, and this is where we're experiencing these things like burnout, adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, all of these things. I believe fibromyalgia is also connected to these things because fibromyalgia is, a, is an inflammatory illness the body inflames why would the body inflame because there is danger there is stress there is overwhelm right so when we continually in this kind of yeah overwhelm we have this window of tolerance don't we of our capacity to cope and we see it all the time don't we we see people who are really strong and dealing with all the things and then something happens seemingly quite small maybe to the outside eye something happens and this person it's the tipping point where they fall out of the window of uh tolerant being able to tolerate what's going on around them and they fall into either a hyper or a hypo response to that stress and this is where people have nervous breakdowns yeah, this is this is our experience. And they will either be in fight, flight, freeze, or they will be completely withdrawn and unable to function. Yes. And this is also why we end up, I believe, getting these sort of autoimmune immune diseases, things like that, through an inability to self-regulate through a world that continually causes us stress. Right. So we've got the reasons why we would maybe not be embodied. There's loads of reasons why we're not embodied, isn't there? And it's actually quite easy to not be embodied. <laughs> I said I said to a friend of mine today, actually, I said, oh, I'm speaking to my friend about disassociation and the, and, and the, 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 the necessary journey back to the body. And she said, oh, that sounds interesting. I said, yes. And I said, you know what, though? I was thinking the other day, in some ways, my ability to disassociate has at times been my saving grace, you know? And in the past, it has been a safety mechanism, most definitely for me, to cope yes. with, what is, with what is going on around me. And this function of my body that is beyond my thinking, that just happens as a result of being overwhelmed and stressed, has actually taken me out for long enough to be able to cope with what's going on around me now. It can yeah. become incredibly helpful. It certainly helped me until yeah. it didn't, until it stopped yeah and this is then where we 
realize that our coping strategies are now not working for us anymore. And this is your question, why is it so important to be embodied? Now, for me personally, the ability to be embodied is not necessarily gonna mean that in stressful situations, I don't disassociate because it's almost like a built in mechanism that just happens without my say so as a result of feeling stressed. Mm-hmm. What is my responsibility then though, is to pick up the tools that I know to use to bring myself back in. Yes. So this is what the work, this is the work that I do with myself and with others. How do we create safe spaces for people to come back having disassociated? Yes, which was my next question, but you've asked it already. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason why we need to come back, the reason we need to come back is because if we continually stay in a disassociated place, we start to experience the release of stress hormones, uh, unable to self-regulate, and we are continually in our fight, flight, or freeze, or so we're either really anxious or we're really depressed. Um, And whereas the disassociation prevents us from feeling those things initially, it then creates those experiences for us long term yeah so we start yeah so it stopped working i liken it very much to drinking drugs it's the same you know i feel stressed i feel overwhelmed i take drugs i change the way i feel with drugs and in that initial moment i am happy this is brilliant And when I first started taking drugs as a means to escape what I felt were unsafe situations in my body and my mind, it was brilliant. I'm not going to lie. It was my solution to what I deemed my problem was, which was myself, (laughs) you know, and my ability to navigate the world. It was a restriction for me. Yeah, I've got this. Feeling feelings and it felt like a superpower Again, until it didn't, until Until. the actual restriction caused more anxiety. Exactly. And it's exactly the same with drugs. The external fixes to our internal problems run out. Yes. They are not sustainable. And what we find long term with external fixes is that they end up exasperating the things that they fixed in the first place. Yeah. So you're then, then, you've got this solution. It's not working. Now what are you going to do? It's a terrifying place to be. Yes, it is. Because what are you left with? Nothing. So... This is where the work comes in. My work comes in. We start to fill in the gaps of how we 
internally heal, how we tap into our inner resource to be able to manage external environments more healthily. So this embodiment, this ability to embody is important for us because it allows us to tap into our inner resource rather than expecting outer resources to fix a problem because we know that doesn't work. It runs out, it runs out. So this has to be something that we can tap into at any point, at any point. We don't need money for it. We don't need, you know, to, I don't know, take anything. We don't need to do anything. What we've got to rely on is ourselves. And self one of the, yeah, yeah, self, self, like the self-soothing, the ability to self-heal, the ability to self-regulate, the ability to have a conscious and subconscious relationship between mind and body connection. Yes, it is intrinsically important. Like it's so interwoven between the body and the mind. You know, I mean, God, when you think about it, like not that long ago, really, we were still in a place where people believed like the sort of the body and the mind were two separate things. They still believed that like the brain was like a static thing. Like it was, it was just formed and it just stayed that way. <laughs> you know, yes. and now, now what we understand is through neuroplasticity, we can change our neurological pathways to have a completely different experience of, the, of ourselves and the world around us. It's phenomenal, it's phenomenal. So this embodied practice is about getting into the exploration of feeling, which is terrifying. It is, it is, it's so scary. And I just, I remember just thinking, I don't even know how to feel my feelings. I don't know what to do with them. The thought of feeling them is absolutely terrifying. But the fear of feeling your feelings is so much worse than actually feeling your feelings, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there's a thing that they say in recovery. We have all these like little phrases, but one of the things they say is like, the good thing about recovery is you get your feelings back. The bad thing about recovery is you get your feelings back, <laughs> you know? And it's like, and the other one is, you know, your feelings won't kill you kind of thing, which, I mean, I don't have to debate that a little bit because feelings are feelings and they are valid, right? They are something that is happening very obviously and we either think or we feel it. You know, this emotion, this emotion is something that we're either thinking about or we're feeling. And for me, actually, sort of cardio kind of movement is really beneficial to getting into the body because you can't help but be in your body when, like, you are shaking 
or you are holding a plank, for example, you know, so it's not a feeling in terms of like an emotional feeling. It's a feeling like I feel my hands on the floor. I feel the shake in my belly. I feel my shoulders, you know, all of this. So it's very active. You are actively in your body, you know. Um, and through that kind of connection, you can start sort of then inviting people to say, where do you feel that? I feel it in my arms, feel it in my chest, I feel it in. And then once they get used to that inquiry, when we, so with the people who I was doing yoga and movement with and the people that we were doing talking therapy with, what was really good with the sort of transferable skill of those two things is when we were talking and they were talking about a situation that had maybe happened that was traumatic, where do you feel it? Yeah. Um, with that, if somebody was like I was having a real problem with compulsive exercise, you can still do that in a much gentler form in some kind of like a yin yoga or something, can't you, instead, and still connect with your body and feel in without torturing your poor body any further than what you've already done. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I don't necessarily think that, um, like, so we do a, we do a therapeutic movement class. Um, and that in so many ways it can be often more accessible than say the yoga. I think yoga can have some preconceived ideas from some people. Um, and I think the movement, the premise is if you can turn up to this session and sit down, you can participate, you know, so it's more about the exploration of moving the body. So it's not like when I use the term cardio, I guess that can bring up a certain kind of preconceived idea. I mean, we sweat just by shaking, just by yeah. doing this. This is not associated with that kind of exercise bulimia, which I know you're kind of like linking into, because I know I've been there myself as well. Eat something, exercise, get the calories off. And you're in that perpetual cycle of kind of constantly you're not you're purging. Yes. purging with exercise and yeah I think what I'm talking more about is bringing the body into safe stress yeah squeezing really hard and then stopping squeezing stuff like that shaking oh uh, you know move like so it's not we can get our heart rate up a great deal without having to put our bodies under a lot of duress actually we don't have to put our bodies under duress even patting so yeah body. more expressive than compulsive yes yeah absolutely absolutely and this link between when i do this you know i feel it in my forearm where do i feel it well and if we look at like you know the benefits of sort of somatic movement it's like okay so i'm hitting here but i actually also feel it here and here and it's starting to navigate i think that's what it is it's an exploration and I think a lot of what I do, well, actually everything I do is by invitation, by invitation. Nobody has to do anything, you know? It's like, what would it feel like to 
tap your foot, you know? What would it feel like to open and close your hand? Just these, just starting, to, because actually what's interesting, I mean, I'm very expressive when I talk. I'm all like, I'm all arms, I'm all this, yeah? I'm very like this, I really am like that. Um, and I'm all about movement, I'm all about fluidity, I'm all about touch and very expressive. But for people who are maybe not and, and more shy in their approach, you know, you have to remind them that they moved to get to the class. Yes. You move to get to your class. We have people there with Zimmer frames who are sitting and moving their arms. You know, so it's really kind of like everything we do actually has the potential to be embodied. Where, in what, what is the line between just movement and embodied movement? I suppose awareness, isn't it? Yeah, and intention. It's intention and awareness. And so if you want to, you can intentionally walk to the shops. You know, rolling through your feet, getting into your heel to the ball of your foot. Maybe you're stood in the queue of a, in the shops or whatever, and you're just coming up onto your tiptoes and sinking into your heels. Maybe you're squeezing your hands, releasing. You know, when you actually start to incorporate the idea of intentional movement in everything you do, it becomes second nature. Yeah, because even now, now I can feel the seat. I can yes. feel the floor beneath my feet. Yeah. So what we are looking for, first and foremost, when we're working with people who are really, you know, disassociated from their feelings is to get them into the physical. So like you say, feeling your feet on the floor, you can feel your foot on the floor, you can feel your back against your chair. You know, can you feel your hand on your heart? Or if you breathe, yeah, what do you feel with, what happens to your hands when you breathe? So all the time, it's 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 an inquiry. And I think when, when we look at things as like an inquiry as a, and, an, and as an observation, it starts to move away from the judgment and the punishment that we so often associate um, observing our bodies with, don't we? You know, yes. it's like I'm looking at my body. This is the, oh, you know, it's like it's, it's really kind of damaging um, so this this observation is merely sort of like about where do you feel pressure on your body? Can you feel like, you know, you're clothing against your skin? What does that feel like? So you become more of an experiment a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, when you're using judgment, then you can't have curiosity. And I love that word. Curiosity. Curiosity is one of my favourite words. And playful playful i love to be playful in my approach to my exploration and i like to encourage others to be playful in their approach to their own journeys too because let's have it right you know change takes 
effort. Yes, it does so much. Change takes bravery and courage. And I'm continually humbled by the people who step through my door, you know, um, because I understand what's take, what it's taken for them to get to that point. Because I know from back at the beginning, believing I was worth it to make the change. And previously, I don't know if I had believed I was worth it. And something shifted, something changed for me that allowed me to believe that I was worth changing. And I think for many women in recovery, I think that's the starting point. It certainly was for me, you know, um, self-worth. Self-worth's on the floor, isn't it? Yes, although, I have to say, when I first started recovery, I didn't believe I was worth it. And I was only going into that space, that part of my life for my children, because I didn't think I had any worth at that time. I do know. Yeah. Yeah. And likewise, for me, I started my recovery journey a long time before I actually believed that I was worth doing the things that I was doing. Um, I mean, you know, and, and, and hence many years relapsing, many years relapsing because of that belief, you're only worth this, you're mm-hmm. only worth that life, you know? So for me, like my our whole life, my whole life can have an embodied approach to it if we are conscious and aware um, and our movement is, yeah, is explorative, playful, um, and we are approaching movement with an air of curiosity and how does this feel? you know, and with that continual practice, because I always say to people, you know, when they're in classes with me, this is the practice, this is the practice bit. So when you then go out into the real world, (laughs) the big wide world, and you are faced with a situation where you would ordinarily feel really panicky and overwhelmed you've got a practice of breath work of grounding feeling your feet you know and you can then bring that in as a little tool in your toolbox rather than and if you are getting overwhelmed you can observe that and you can then start to bring the tools in to return back to the neck down, the neck down. So we, I feel, I feel this as opposed to I think this. So yeah, it it can be terrifying, beautifully terrifying, you know? And I think the more you turn up, the more you show up, 
the easier it becomes. And it's like, it's then who you are. It's not something you do, it's who you are. So we don't we don't do movement. We are movement, you know? And yeah, I mean I'm incredibly I feel very, like I say, humbled and privileged to walk alongside many people at the beginning of their journey and watch them, watch them unfold and and, and become far more aware of themselves. So yeah, I mean it's 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 a beautiful process. It really is. So, one thing I found that I do now, um, which I never used to do, is not just about feeling my body, but feeling an emotion. Say anxiety. Say I'm worried about something, and instead of being in my head and worrying about it. I now drop into my body and actually identify where it is, where I'm feeling it, and just breathe into it and let it have space to be there, not try and get rid of it, just put space around it with my breath. Yeah, so we do a beautiful practice where, yeah, what if, what if you welcomed the anxiety? What if you said, what if you felt anxious, you identified where it is? This is what I was saying about, you know, that that sort of the the the, the first bit of connecting is how a movement feels in the body. And then once you've got that sort of connection with mind and body, you can then take it to a feeling. Where do you feel anxiety? Oh, it's in my chest. Because you've got that awareness through the movement practice that you've been doing. And when you've identified, it's in my chest. Okay, so hands on chest. And you almost talk to it and yes. say, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. You know, so much of our um, challenges with managing our emotions. Oh, here he is. Here he is, my greatest teacher. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You are soaking wet. For anybody that doesn't have the video, this is now Rachel's cat has joined My the video. My cat has just joined the, joined the party. He's soaking wet. Please, Bubby. Okay. My greatest <laughs> teacher, be more cat is my mantra. It Honestly, it's, he's so embodied. It's outrageous. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're talking. We're talking to our anxiety and we are welcoming it. And... Like I say, a big part of why we have challenges in managing our emotional well-being is because we believe that we have cited an emotion as being unhelpful or a bad emotion. And so we turn it inward and we make it mean something about ourselves. There's yes. something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. Why am I feeling like this? And so I shouldn't be. I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't. I should, exactly. Exactly. And I think one of one of the you know in the well being world, you know, there's there, there's a lot of toxic positivity. There's a lot of kind of spiritual bypassing. Um, and what I mean when I say that is this kind of I call them the love and light brigade. And <laughs> it's 
Sorry, not, not sorry. Not, we're not sorry, are we, Archie? We're not sorry. Um, you know, because they, they're just constantly positive and we've got to always find positive mental attitudes and, you know, be grateful. And you can't have positive without negative. Of it's course you can't. Of course you can't. And the th- <sighs> this belief that there are a set of emotions that are negative and a set of emotions that are positive means that we label them good emotions and bad emotions. And if we are experiencing bad emotions, we are not coping and therefore there's something wrong with us. And then you've got somebody going, you know, but you've got so much to be grateful for. (laughs) And telling you you don't have a right to feel those feelings. Exactly. And what I say when I'm not when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling anxious and I'm observing all of that and somebody, you know, you've got so much to be grateful for. What I say to that is I know and I'm still grateful because two things can run alongside one another. We can have joy and we can have grief. This idea that we're polarised in our feelings is part of the reason why we are so confused about how we manage them because we feel, well, I can't feel that if I'm feeling that. Well, I can't do that if I feel that. And it's all really hectic. We have a myriad of emotions that are going all the time, you know, and my experience is, is that there are a number of things happening usually all at once. And I can feel anxious. It doesn't mean I'm not grateful for my life. Yes. This is like the conversation we had just before we hit record when I said about the weather. Absolutely. It was um, raining and sunny and the moon was up and the sun was up and there was a rainbow. And one side of where I walked was windy and one side was calm. It wasn't just one or the other. It was everything all at once. And isn't that beautiful? And doesn't it take the pressure off? So yeah, I agree. When you feel something that is maybe, you know, conditioned to be a bad emotion, what if we bring it in rather than push it away? What if we welcome it and say, all is welcome here? And as you said at the beginning, you know, the sort of the, if I was to, you know, sort of describe what I do a little bit in a nutshell is that, is that phrase of whatever your headspace, there's space here for you. Because our body influences our mind and our mind influences our body, vice versa. These things are working, you know, together. And when we experience trauma, what tends to happen is a disconnect, a disconnect from one thing or another, whether it be from the mind, whether it be from the body, we disassociate it, we disconnect. So for me, the solution to those things 
the healing of the body-mind connection is dependent on reconnecting. Connecting not only with ourselves, but with others. I was talking to a friend of mine and we were a bit like, oh, hello. We've got all the furry animals. <laughs> oh, 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 Do you know, God. honestly, they help us to embody, don't they? Oh, so much. Animals are so therapeutic and I love him. And his purr, his purr is just so, as is our humming. So I use sound to hum, to sing, use bowls to vibrate, resonance, to get really into the subtle body, the cellular body. Because what I realise is that you can talk. Talking therapy is of great benefit. I've done it for years for my personal uh, well-being, but also as a therapist myself, I still do do that. Um, but for me, it's the it's it's the it's the layered approach to well-being, isn't it? You know, it's that yeah, that layered approach. And I mean, going back a little bit about the sort of the maybe the things that aren't so great in the well-being industry is that sort of that negation of feelings or you shouldn't be one way or another. And I think that harks back to what you said earlier about these cultural societal norms of who you should be, what you should look like, how you should feel. And that's just bringing judgments into everything though, isn't it? And it's, there isn't black or white, right or wrong, good or bad. It's just perception. Yeah, I was listening to somebody the other day and he said, what if we didn't see life experiences as good or bad? We just saw them as life experiences and we took responsibility to either say yes to it or no to it. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? That's we like mind-blowing. <laughs> we can do that, though, can't we? We can. If we do, I mean, it's another thing. I mean, you know, like I say, I'm a work in progress and, you know, like stressed out to hell on Saturday, you know, and and also, as you know, I'm 44. I've started, you know, the journey of perimenopause quite early I think I sort of track it back to getting symptoms when I was around 36 and uh, hormonally like that journey has been quite a full-on one plus as well all the you know perceived expectations of perimenopause and menopause that is now rife on social media and in 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 big big sort of news and at big selling points and stuff like that so all of these symptoms that apparently I'm going to get and you know the weight gain the this the that the all the other things and of course you know it's terrifying for people who have experienced eating disorders or uh, poor mental health have already experienced anxiety and depression to be kind of then told that this next phase of your life all of that is going to be ramped right up, you know? I'm actually really curious about this, though, because I had, I mean, I'm 49, and I had a lot of symptoms of perimenopause in my eating disorder 
which actually went away in recovery. So how much of that is perimenopause and how much of that is actually symptoms of stress and of malnutrition? Mm. And I think that we can sometimes when when there's something like that that is so full of public awareness at the moment, we can actually ignore things and say, oh, it's just that, instead of taking notice of what our body's trying to tell us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I said to somebody not that long ago, I'm not looking online about anything. I'm going to wake up each day and I'm going to check in with how I feel. Yes, because you're not the same as anybody else. No, and that's the other thing is that, you know, you can get advice from everybody, of course, but everybody's different and your yeah. own experience is going to be very independent and personal to you. So for me, it's, I think what what I realise so much is that actually, you know, we live in a, we live in a culture that doesn't want us particularly to take our own agency to be well to learn how to be well, because this doesn't offer, you know, the people that want to make a lot of money out of our illnesses, um, you know, a good a good source of income, does it? If we actually all just take responsibility and think about, okay, what do I feel today? What do I need to do to make myself feel a little bit better today? Yeah, and that that goes for so much, doesn't it? fitness, beauty, diet, everything, if we all stopped buying into the societal standards, millions and billions of pounds would be lost from big businesses. Yeah, huge. And that's not to say, you know, that we don't have people who are in our communities that absolutely need, you know, more um, personalised support, you know, and that may not have the capacity or or the kind of the, the certain privileges that are afforded to, you know, look after their own mental, physical health. But this is part of the reason why I developed CYC, Create Your Community, to give people access to stuff that was absolutely going to be beneficial for body, mind and spirit without costing a small fortune. You know, that is my... Hmm... What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, that's my sort of life's purpose, right? That's my contribution to the community. That I, I see a gap that needs to be filled, and that is accessibility. There's a there's an inclusivity gap without yeah. a doubt. And yes, for me. It's all very well saying, you know, oh, yeah, you know, do you sort your own health out, all the rest of it. But I'm not negating the fact that, you know, for many people, access to things is really limited. And so this is why, you know, the project exists so that you can get really good stuff, really good stuff uh, for a fraction of the cost because it's all subsidized by. Uh, the project's community pot you know you can get that stuff so you know it's like if any if anybody does you know feel like what we're talking about feels out of reach or you don't even know where to start because that's the other thing I think 
Uh, certainly my mental health is supported by community. Yeah, and <laughs> your dog. <laughs> Having a meltdown is behind you with a tennis ball. Funny, with a tennis ball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, community is key. I'm also really aware, like, people are really isolated, you yeah. know? So how, yeah... I always say this, but if people really have no idea where to start, you know, you can just contact me and we act as a signpost service as well for uh, local resources in your local area. We're primarily in sort of Boscombe and Bournemouth and Poole, like, you know, sort of Dorset based. But, you know, when the lockdowns happened and everything, we obviously went sort of a bit more global and became a bit more of a signpost service so yeah I'll people can in the show notes for that but if yeah you so say now how people can contact you how they can get hold of you yeah so people can contact me for the project for create your community rachel at createyourcommunity.org.uk and then the website is createyourcommunity.org.uk. Quite simple, really. So, yeah, you can just come through to me. The website will show you everything that why what we do, why we do it, you know, why we cite it as being important. I think at this stage now, you know, I've spent a lot of I've spent my whole life really working or being impacted by uh, poor mental health, whether it be my own or whether it be with others you know and what I have witnessed in the last three to four years is a mental health pandemic yes as a, as a result of um you know uh covid and the lockdowns and that disconnect from others we are only really starting to see the ramifications of that in our young people, in our elderly, in our minority groups, you know, people that have been deemed as being all up together and got their business and all of that are now experiencing really poor mental health. And so for me, the project is even more important, even more valuable now than it was when it was, you know, first sort of realised five years ago. And that the demographic of people that we support has changed drastically. Um, what I think, what I do think, though, is when we are in times of adversity, what people in more disadvantaged and more impoverished areas have always known is that we're better together. Yes, that is true. They have all. We have always known that. But that is starting to spill out into wider communities where people who maybe don't know who their neighbours are, who haven't really experienced that community feel and be more independent in the way they live their lives. What 2020 kind of encouraged us to do was know who you live around because they're going to be your biggest resource. So... We can see positives as well as, you know, challenges, can't we? I think yeah. the positives are is that communities are built through adversity and people do come together as a result of having less because together you have more, right? Absolutely. So I, 
and I've always lived in those communities. I've always been part of that, um, you know, and certainly in my using, you know, I was homeless, I was street homeless for a long time. Um, and so I've been on that side. I've been on that side of the coin. So, you know, for me, my sort of observation of life comes from very, comes from many different angles, you know, from being that service user to being the service provider, to then being independent, self-employed and the founder of a community project. So it all does come together eventually. Like the great tapestry of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on and imparting your wisdom and talking about what you do. It's been amazing and We've also had lots of furry intervention, which has been unusual, but great. Yeah, I know. My Oh, look at him. He's just like curled up in the perfect cat posture. Whereas like, cat, like, like a wild whereas cat. Your, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah you're, you're, your furry creatures are a little bit more crazy. Well, but... one, of, one of them's sound asleep on the sofa, but the other one is the other one, one is that I've moved rooms. Absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me as well. I hope that through all of the sort of the passion and the exploration that it made some sense for the people that are listening. And like I say, if people want, you know, to know any more about what I do, then yeah, by all means, get in touch through the details that you'll obviously pop, pop yes, up on, the, pop them in the, show on the thing, whatever the thing is. <laughs> So thank you so much. And thank you so much to the listeners. I'm so grateful to you for being here and for tuning in week after week. And if you need any help with recovery and are ready to take the steps, do reach out, contact me, contact Rachel. We're here for you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do remember to give me a follow and a five-star rating. This will enable me to reach more people that need help. If you would like to talk to me about how to work with me and you're ready to take the next step, just check out my website at juliatrahane.com. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful.